Take them and turn with me to that very text that Daniel just read, 1 John chapter 2. And we will focus on these verses 15 through 17. I want to welcome every single one of you here to Big Woods Bible Church. We thank the Lord for the opportunity. We have a Thanksgiving week before us, and all of our focus is on the blessings, the grace that God has given to us. Um, We've been involved here. I know it's a little bit different. We had a long series in the book of Romans. Um, We have a long series coming up. Uh, January 1st, we start Genesis chapter 1. And so kind of sandwiched in between, those of you that maybe are visiting with us, we're spending time in a topical series. So I thought it would be appropriate for Thanksgiving and Christmas, the festive season. Let's talk about Satan and demons in the subject of spiritual warfare. We know that the church has got to be on guard, but we're grateful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that guards us every single step of the journey. This is a day and a time, a unique day and time, for us to live faithfully as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and pray with me just before we dive into some of these texts before us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do rejoice in another opportunity that you've given to us. You've sustained us through the night. You've woken us up one more day. And we want to express our gratitude, the blessings of lifting up our voices in praise to you. And now, Lord, as the word is open before us, I would Pray and ask and plead that you would be the focus, that you would be glorified, that you would be heard. I think specifically, Lord, even even chatting with people on the way in this morning, we have many that are going through difficult, difficult seasons. And I pray, Lord, that you would minister, that you would encourage and strengthen, comfort hearts that need it. May they sense your care and your love. And Lord, for others that perhaps have wandered in, I pray, Lord, that you would quicken our spirit, awaken us to be sensitive to you so that we, Lord, would live every moment of every day, understanding it's a gift, but we, Lord, live for your glory. Please give me clarity of mind and thought and speech. We ask this in the amazing and matchless and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Last time we gathered on this subject, we learned about the importance of what I call understanding the enemy. And I use that term purposely as a singular term. And today we're actually going to add to that. Now, to think for a moment that we did look at Satan, the devil, the word is diabolos, slanderer, the temper, the tempter, the wicked one, the ruler of this world, the god of this age, the prince and power of the air, the one who transforms himself as an angel of life, and all of his demons. To think if, if that was not enough, and, and to pause on that alone is terrifying, fearful, daunting. And yet today we're actually drawn to the fact that there's still more. There's still more enemies 
that await that Satan uses to cause great harm, great destruction. But thankfully, understand this. And we have to know this as we move forward. We understand and trust the, the truth of the matter does not change. So we go into this understanding 1 Corinthians 15. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's through his work, his death, burial, and resurrection that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them. So it's with that truth we can be totally confident. As you know, we'll pick up in verse 15 of 1 John chapter 2. But if you were to look just, just back one phrase, the end of 14 actually says what? You have overcome the evil one. Here's the word of the Lord before us this morning, beginning in verse 15. Do not, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The word of the Lord. Two points I want to give to you this morning. The first one is this. We have to understand what we're battling, not only Satan, not only the enemy, but we're battling the world as well. And we have to understand, well, what, what is it exactly? Like, what do you mean when you hear this word world? In Greek, it's cosmos. And it does not mean like you think universe, everything in the entire universe. It's not the world terra firma, okay? firm ground. It's, it's not referring to that physically, nor does it even refer to the individual people in the world, or not even every single unsafe person on the planet. So what is the world? I appreciate author and pastor Jim Osmond's definition. And I quote, by the world we mean the system of thinking, the way of life, the perspective of this world that leaves no room for God. It is the godless mindset that is described, as we just read, in the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. First off, we understand that it is really easy for us to concentrate only on Satan. Okay, he's referred to what as, as a roaring lion. We took our grandkids, two of our grandsons, to the, to the Jerusalem Biblical Zoo to see the, the Asian lion, the same type of lion that Samson would have killed, that David would have killed. And it's pretty obvious the lion draws the attention. You hear that roar. And it's easy for everything to focus on the roaring lion and it's certainly important to know the power, but also the limitations of the enemy. It's very easy for us to forget everything else. Think about what is one of the most successful tactics of warfare for the enemy, but using the elements of surprise. We call it an ambush. 
When one is focusing one place only on Satan, what happens? You, you leave your flank exposed. You make yourself vulnerable. My brother-in-law and his wife and kids lived for 12 years in Tanzania, Africa, planting churches. And it's not unheard of to hear of what certain places in the world that have clearly opened themselves up to demonic activity. And you hear things, direct attacks from the enemy, demon-possessed people, outright assaults. While at some level here in the West, people may be aware of and constantly on the lookout for the obvious. We're not going to have a youth activity that says, okay, we're all going to come, stand on a, in the center of a pentagram, and we're going to sacrifice a goat together. Okay, we're not, we're not, like something at some level is so obvious, we're not going to go that route. However, what happens is that the church in the West, I would say this, is losing to a more subtle ambush of influences and doctrines and temptations that the world has to offer. And I'm sure if I began to name them, well, somebody's going to get upset. Let's, let's look at how Scripture defines and explains and describes what these things are. It uses this term desires, or another translation is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Matthew Henry, who lived in the late 17th century, early 18th, need I remind you, long before the temptations of Twitter and TikTok. And yet he's actually bang on. He is accurate in describing the lust of the flesh. Subjectively, it's the humor and the appetite of indulging fleshly pleasures. And objectively, all those things that excite and inflame the pleasures of the flesh. That's a couple hundred years ago. And he's describing perfectly what we need to be aware of today. Think about this. What is it that you are entertained by? What is it that you laugh at? What is it that you spend your time and money and effort and attention? What's, what's on your playlist? That's where we begin to lean into. If I were to say, okay, let's look at our, our Netflix or Hulu accounts. What's listed under my stuff? What is it that occupies our time? It is a preoccupation, in a sense, with the fleeting things of this world that appeal to us, that temporarily appease the flesh. It's feelings, an emphasis on how you feel. Now, historically speaking, we can go back and look at what? increasing secularization of the world around us. And so we're taught from little ones. There's this idea of definition of, well, what is worldly today? And so there's this long list of things that, that, that were in this. You don't, well, Christians don't, and I don't want to fill in the blank. What do we don't? We don't play cards. We don't dance. You don't have a drink. You don't, you don't play football on Sunday. I heard it like this. You don't, you don't smoke, cuss, or chew, or go with girls who do. Okay, we have at some level, 
this understanding of, well, what is worldliness? That's, in a sense, what we have been raised on. I would strongly argue, and you can go to the bank with this, biblical worldliness has less to do with certain activities and more to do with certain ways of thinking. Let me say that again. Biblical worldliness today... It's not geared as much on what exactly you're doing as what it is that you're thinking. Just, just pause for a moment on how does worldliness creep into even the local church? Like, how does that happen? It can best be explained simply by a longing, I believe, for the experience In overemphasis on feelings, how do I feel? In overemphasis, in infatuation with feelings over truth, a craving, we must be accepted. We must look like the world in order to win the world. Well, what, what exactly is that? We could put it even more directly or bluntly as a man centered. In egocentric theology, expressive individualism that says what? You, you, better, you better thrill me at some level. You better light it up. You got to excite me, please me, entertain me, wow me by way of a worship experience. You can by all means, I don't have a prayer, you can turn down the lights and turn up the music and hit the smoke machine, but I tell you what, you cannot eliminate words like sin. You cannot eliminate words like repentance and confession and sacrifice and submission. You just cannot do that. It cannot be a, a, a pump me up, give me something that makes me feel good, valued, important. No, no, no. You can have a slow erosion of the truth by eliminating the full weight of the gospel of Jesus Christ, or as Paul says to Timothy and writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the time is coming. You know, I, I can't, I don't have the authority to add to or take away from Scripture, but I, I, would, I, I would almost say, Paul wrote this, what, 2,000 years ago, the time is here. It, it's not a shock, it's not a surprise that the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Same word. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now please understand, hear me, I'm not talking about, so what we need to do is we have to have a, a grind your nose in it, grind your face in it, unloving, uncaring, make you feel worthless, a manipulative, guilt-driven message. I'm not talking about, that's not gospel. That's not gospel at all. We know, you know, you are valued. Every single one of you, regardless of the difficult past, Regardless of the terrifying circumstance you find yourself in right now where you think that nobody knows, nobody cares. You're valued and uniquely and divinely designed and created in the image of God. He formed you. He knit you together. 
in your mother's womb. And he desires, he longs for relationship with you. And he offers you the means by what? By offering his own son to die in your place, who willingly went to the cross. Hope you hear that, that I'm purposely using words when we think about worldly influences in him of overemphasis. We're infatuated with where something is out of balance. I am, I am all about we need to understand our culture, okay? I'm all about the importance of contextualization, communicating the message in a way that it can be heard and it can be understood. But we know that the gospel, what? It, in a sense, it trans- it's above every culture. So the way that we explain it the words that we use, the language, even the illustrations, can look quite different. In the Western world versus what? The Far East or the Mideast. Yes, 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 we are to herald the gospel. But think about this. You don't invite people into the public square for an outdoor worship service in Tehran, Iran. You, you don't do that. You don't do that in Islamabad. Or Kathmandu. It's going to look different. Even, even in places where persecution is not a fear. It's going to look different. What? At some level, ministry in the UP and Michigan is going to look different than lower Manhattan. It's going to look different in Southern California than it does in Central Pennsylvania. But that does not mean you ever throw away the truth. It doesn't mean that you pander to the desires of unbelievers. What's going to sell? It does not mean that you ever craft a message where you somehow dismiss or you have to erase the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. We don't ever move away from the holiness of God or the sinful, desperate plight of mankind apart from God offering salvation. By grace alone, through what? Faith alone, in Christ alone. So when we hold on to that as a church, here it is. Here's the rub. You're going to look different. We're going to look different. Kind of the oil and water idea that Daniel just showed the kids. I like the way John Piper says it. He says, if, if you're going to swim in cultural oceans, you better be a dolphin and not a jellyfish. I like that. We don't just kind of like go with the flow. So we understand at a level, well, what is the world? It's the influences, the godless. That, that it seems is just a direct assault against us today. How, how do we win against this? Like, we're, we're involved in spirituality. Like, what does this battle look like? We know that we are taught The church is called to be salt and light. Now, now, arguably the greatest message, greatest sermon ever preached in the history of the world from Matthew chapter 5, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, says that what? You don't take a light and cover it up. Don't we teach our kids you don't let Satan it out? Remember that? And as salts, we, we can ask the question at some level, 
What, what use is there if salt loses its saltiness? Well, according to what Jesus taught us, except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. We could have, we, I wish I had the time just to read all of Matthew chapter 5 and how we do this. In, in John's gospel, in chapter 15, it says this, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world. We have to understand, in a sense, who we are. We have to understand to whom is it that we belong as we live in this world. And it says here in John chapter 15, you are not of the world, but I love this, I chose you. We know, we know. We know how beautiful that is as kids when, when what? We feel our heels up against the chain link fence and we're all lined up and, and they're, they're picking teams and you know what it's like when somebody says, I'll take that guy right there. He's a little shaky looking, but I, I think I can do something with him. We love to be chosen. That's what God did for each one of us. Peter writes what? Out of the darkness. He called us out of the darkness into the marvelous light so at some level if we do battle and we do battle well in this world you got to know who you are you got to know to whom you belong secondly you've got to know that you will be safe in this battle and let me preface this by saying what it's not always a physical safety okay fox's book of martyrs has revealed that to us the scriptures reveal that to us okay there's not a like protective coat of armor here that nothing will ever touch you. I'm not talking about physically. Matter of fact, it may get a little dicey for you. But spiritually speaking, you will be safe. 1 John chapter 5 and verses 18 and 19, we know that everyone who has been born of God, everyone, does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. I love that. I love the, the, the verse that my parents hung above my bed when I slept at night from 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. I can still see it. It was, it was blue velvet. It was like a 70s thing. And it said this, and I remember this, little children, those terrified nights as a kid, it says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And so we have to know this. We have to know that the evil one, and evil may boil around us. But spiritually speaking, you are fine. And you will be fine for all of eternity when God has chosen you. I know it sounds like, okay, but like, hey, Pastor Tim, like, but I'm still here right now. Like, I still live in this world. And like, it's pretty loud. So we ask the question, what, what then is the relationship that we have? Like, we have to, we're, we are, we're in it. 
Is it a monastic, kind of cloistered, ascetic separation? We're going we're to we're do like the monks used to do. We're going to chain ourselves to the wall so that I will not sin. So that's what we're supposed to do? No. No and no. No, that's not gospel. We are left in this world to evangelize it while we remain separate from it. We're left here for a purpose. You're on a mission to evangelize the world while we remain separate. Just think of some of the instruction that is given from Scripture. I love this in Titus chapter 2. And it begins what? To renounce ungodliness... Like, as we live in this world, we renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and we are to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. We renounce those things. I actually looked at this word. It means to formally declare one's abandonment to. It means to reject. It means to stop participating in. Yeah, but, but then I'll lose the opportunity to minister to the world. That's, that's the defense. No, I, I got to kind of like look and we got to sound. We use the same terms and language because we got to minister to the world. No, no, no. You are ministering to the world by renouncing that which is ungodly. It says that we are to keep oneself unstained by the world. How hard is that today? God says, be holy because I'm holy unmixed from the impurities that exist around us. There are things that we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to, listen to this in James chapter 4, we're never supposed to wish to be a friend of this world. We are to never wish to be a friend of this world. I just, I just, I just wish I, I, I belong somewhere. And they get me. We are to never wish for that. Why? Because it actually continues on. That makes you an enemy of God. You want to be a friend of the world? You can have it. But you'll be estranged. An enemy. We are not to be conformed to this world. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12. But be transformed by the remo- renewing of your mind. People, it, it boils down to this. If you, I don't know, I can't, I can't see your heart. I don't know your heart. I can see evident fruit. But if, if you are here this morning and you just long for like that connection, that acceptance, I desire, I want to look like, I want to talk like the, the, the celebrities that are, this is what you need to be. If you want to behave like, believe like, and you want to celebrate everything that this godless world wants to celebrate, you want to win for you. Nobody tells you. Then, then it's, it's pretty obvious. It's quite obvious. From the authority of Scripture, that means that you're of this world. It's a terrifying thought. I, it's a terrifying thought. But what? But what? Thankfully, however, if you recognize the need... For truth as revealed so clearly in the gospel of Jesus. As a sinner, you can have faith in Jesus who came down, lived a perfect sinless life, and died to atone for your sins. 
and my sins and rose again three days later so we can live victorious. Then think about this. You can, you can not only have forgiveness and not only have eternal life, but you realize what you have. You can have the strength and the boldness and the blessing of the Holy Spirit's presence and power in your life to stand against the godless philosophies, the lofty speculations, as we talked about in 2 Corinthians. And you can have the boldness to refuse to adopt the thinking of this world as they seek to literally redefine what is good and what is evil. Redefine what is right and what is wrong. Redefine marriage. Redefine what a man is, what a woman is. And that's the hope that we have. We're not just like here, just piled on you and God bless. No, no, no. There's something here for us. Now, if you think for a moment if Satan's not enough and the world's not enough, there's still more. Secondly, we are what? Battling the flesh. Battling the flesh. If, if you think of the world as an, as an external influence, now what? There's something even closer. There's an internal. The primary text here is Romans chapter 8 that speaks on the extent, the influence of our sinful nature or our flesh. <clears throat> now, we actually spent, you guys don't remember this, we spent all of April and all of May of 2021 just in Romans chapter 8. Two solid months and because you don't remember any of it, I'm going to just remind you very, very quickly what, what this, in a sense, sounds like. Romans chapter 8, look at verses 5 through 9. Romans chapter 8, 5 through 9. <clears throat> For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to, set, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. God. Verse 9, look at the first part. You, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Doesn't that, doesn't that sound a little familiar? Wait a minute. We just read a few moments ago uh, from John chapter 15, you're not of this world. And now we're actually reminded again in Romans chapter 8 that you, you're not in, you're not in the flesh. That word flesh, sarks, we know is what? It's, it's the word that is most commonly used in the New Testament to describe our inborn sin nature, the ruling within every single child since the fall. Every single child of Adam. A simple definition of the flesh is what? Our natural disposition to assert one's own will or authority over God in every area of life. Like, that's, that's us. A natural disposition to assert our own will over God. No one ever has to train up a child in the way that they should not go. 
We just don't do that. You never have to they figure that all out by themselves. We know the truth of Scripture. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, quote Psalm chapter 14, Psalm chapter 53. They repeat it throughout Scripture. There is none righteous. No, not one. There's not one who seeks after God. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned. Definition of all, yeah, that's you in that definition and me. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I recently read this. Satan doesn't need to tempt me to sin or make me to sin because my flesh is more than capable of causing my own downfall. Isn't that true? We focus, well, roaring lion, and and he's roaring. But what, what, what about... What about the, the ambush? We understand as well, how, how are we going to win this thing? Romans chapter 8, verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. I appreciate the fact that Paul just kind of calls it like it is. You want to live this way? You want to eat that fruit? You, you want to indulge in that? You will die. But, Romans chapter 8, verse 13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So, so in the middle here of you will die, you will live, is, is this idea that really just drives John Owen's famous statement from the mortification of sin. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And we've taught on this. We just had a men's class on this. And we're like, okay, so I just have to kill the sin. How's that done? Like, if I just kill it, let me just set it up here. It's not pretty. No, no, to kill, it's not pretty. It's not easy. It's not fun. Let me read a story I read to the guys. It was late summer when Samson Parker started picking a load of corn at his nearby farm. The machine jammed, and as he worked to free the impediment, the rollers grabbed his glove and sucked his hand into the gears. Sparks flew from the grinding gears, igniting the dried stalks on the ground. As flames raged around him, Parker knew he had only one option. He reached for his pocket knife and he began the crueling task of severing his right hand at the forearm. The the choice was clear to him. Lose his hand or lose his life. Eventually got free. He made his way to his truck and he drove for help where he was airlifted to a hospital where he was treated and eventually released. Now just think for a moment, why why would Samson Parker just think for a moment cut off his hand with a pocket knife? Like why? Everyone here really knows the answer because he wanted to live. He wanted to go home. And kiss his wife. He wanted to see his little boy grow up. 
He wanted to live, and that's why he sawed off his own hand. You realize that's not too far from what Jesus actually teaches us in Matthew chapter 5? Saying what? Greatest sermon ever preached. Like it's, that's not far off. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members that you then that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members, that your whole body go into hell. Now, is this literal? Do we have people coming in next week with, with eye patches and, and bloody stumps? No, I, perhaps there's a bit of hyperbole here. But it, it does talk about the fact that what there's something radical, there's something dramatic that better take place. And we know that this battle that we are in, as long as we have breath in our lungs, is a long and a complex battle. And I feel the reason that we don't do well in spiritual warfare, the reason that the church is struggling when it comes to spiritual warfare, boils down primarily to the fact that I, I think we love our own sin and we love this world more than we love our own Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. People want to just indulge in it. How, how, do, how, do, we, how do we kill this? How do we get rid of this? What, what, is, what is of absolute necessity for life? What, what does it take for us to survive? And I always teach about this. Generally speaking, three minutes without air. We need air first and foremost. Three minutes without air. Three days without water. Three, three months without food. And I'm well aware, whenever I use that, of the Japanese pearl divers, that it's recorded. You can hold your breath for seven minutes unless you're a Japanese pearl diver, you're going to be in a lot of trouble underwater for longer than three minutes. We, we need certain things. So, so may I remind you that with the Holy Spirit's help, remember this, the first 16 verses of Romans chapter 8, 15 references to the Holy Spirit. 15. Like there is plenty of ability the Spirit gives to us to suffocate, to cut off the airway, and to starve to death the sins of our flesh. Galatians chapter 5. But I say walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Every step, keep in step with the Spirit, Paul writes. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of of the flesh. So you gotta, you gotta take some dramatic steps here. You're gonna have to take some radical cut off. Well, what is it? Perhaps a couple of suggestions. People who are so preoccupied with what? Thumbs up or thumbs down on social media? Maybe you need to get off of that. Maybe you need to just unplug from some of the technology that's out there. Maybe, man, you can't handle the temptations and you've got to go back to a, a dumb phone. Why? Because you're acting pretty dumb. That's not in my notes. I don't know how that got in there. 
You, you have to understand these areas of taking radical steps, denying yourself the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to nourish that which is roaring inside of us. So not only do we have the Spirit of God, we've already talked about the fact we have the most formidable weapon. We are to what? Training up our children in the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. We have the, the, the Word of God. We have the Spirit of God. Do you, what else, do you know what else we have? We have one another, the people of God. We have the person sitting next to you, in front of you, you're not to go into battle alone. I, I'm terrified for people that remain isolated from the rest of the body. It's disastrous. It's dangerous. Do you have someone that you've like, in a sense, pulled close and said, listen, this is going to be tough. You have permission to ask me anything. We need one another in our lives. Do you have that? Do you have the person who's going to check your histories? Who's going to be, what, flagged if, if you head directions that are dangerous or dumb? You have someone to hold you accountable, your feet to the fire. That's the design of the body of Christ. If you don't, please talk with me. Email me. We'll set you up. We'll connect you. You cannot be in this battle by yourself. Before you ever, ever engage in any kind, any kind of entertainment. I don't care how long you've known the Lord. I don't care how, how old you are. How many books you've read on spiritual warfare. Ask yourself, does this, does my looking at this, my participation in this, does this increase my affection for Jesus? Yes or no? That's a yes, no answer. Right there, if it's no, it's probably cutting the majority of what we're kind of wondering, like, can I, should I? Does this increase my affections, expand the affections of my heart for the one who loved me enough to die for me? Can you honestly give thanks to God for watching this movie? Thank you, Lord, for the lessons that I've learned. Can you give thanks and praise to God for the music that you've listened to, to the people and conversations that you've had? Can you recommend this to someone else? There's another question. If it's like, nah, I don't think I really want to let people know. We're not to do that. We're not to be there. It's going to, it's going to be painful cutting off, hacking off. Ask yourself, will this help me? Walk in the spirit, or is it going to gratify the desires of my flesh, one or the other? You see, if we don't, and I know it's like, wow, he's just like amped up today. No, if, if we don't begin to really call it what it is, and to look at some of these subjects, then what are we doing? Now understand what? Slaying sin is going, it's going to hurt us. Why? Because we live in a world where it boils. I was reminded this week, a couple older godly pastors I was just listening to and learning from, and, and they, they remind us, you can't just be angry at the world. Like, it's easy for me just to seethe in anger. How dare they? No, we, we can't do that. We're to be loving them, praying for them. 
We, we can't completely disengage. We can't just, what, become cloistered and chain ourselves to the wall. Like, we can't do that. We're to be rejoicing in God's sovereignty at the opportunity that God has given to us. God has given to us a cup of cold water for the thirsty to give hope in a hopeless world. What is the source of that? Oh, brothers and sisters, I am so grateful that we are reminded today, both visually, we can, we can touch it, we can taste it, we can smell it, the reminder that God has given to us to hold tight in the midst of the battle, in the midst of a raging war. We need to hold tight to the victory that we can have because of what is represented in the communion table. The broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood. We're defined by when we gather together, this is what we do. Well, what is it? Jesus Christ sitting with his disciples. The very night that he was betrayed, it says that he took bread. And, and the disciples are what? Love them. Probably some slow learners in there like you and I. So he's got to what? He's got to show them. This is what's going to happen. And they're kind of leaning in. And he takes some bread and he breaks it in front of them. And he says, this is a picture, a symbol of what's going to happen to me. My body's going to be broken. It's going to be broken for you. And so that they don't forget it, he says, I want you to eat it. They pass that loaf and they tear off a piece. And they eat it to what? Have it seared in their minds. The only way they can be nourished. The only way that they can be strengthened. Is by feeding on the breads of life. It says after that that he took the, the cup and he, he poured out the fruit of the vine. It probably was some wine. This is grape juice. And he said this is a picture of my blood that's going to be poured out for you without the shedding of blood there can be no remission of sins john the baptist saying there he is there he is behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world the only one who is worthy enough to be sacrificed this is a picture of the blood of christ and he said i want you to taste it and they passed it around and they took a sip why once again to sear in their minds the fact that they're not of this world that they're not in the flesh that they've been called and separated for purpose to live in power and victory and we know that it was fulfilled exactly the way that jesus described his body was bloody mass and it was torn to pieces and his blood gushed out. And because we oftentimes forget with what? With what boils around us. With the noise of this world. With a constant pull towards I guess we have to look like and act like that's why we come back to the foundation of why we exist. As often as you remember, as often as you gather, remember this. You know, this is what we do. 
Big Woods is weird. We do it the third week of every single month. I don't know. That's just the way we do it. And so it's the third week. We, we celebrate communion table. And so we're going to have the elders and some deacons come forward and they're going to go to different stations. And so what I would encourage you to do in these few moments is just pause in the quietness of your own hearts and thank the Lord for the sacrifice of his own body and the pouring out of his blood for you, for your salvation, for your atonement to justify you. Think about us. Us, we know our hearts. Declared righteous in the sight of a holy God. It is not me, but through this work, it is. If you're here this morning and, and you're not a believer, you have not taken that step of faith, and, and you have not acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ and as your Lord and Savior, I want to respectfully ask you, you may be a guest here, and so I don't want to be rude. If you've come here today and you've not received the Lord Jesus Christ, I politely ask you, do not take this, do not eat this, don't drink this. Okay, it would be, it would, it would be silly for you to do that. Why? But God's Word says that today is the day of salvation. Perhaps you've realized the need that there is none righteous. No, not one of us. And there's only one who could do something about that. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he did. And if today, this very moment, and I would delight in this decision, if you said, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I'm deserving to be separated eternally, but I put my life in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to live is a faithful follower, then I invite you, please take this, please take this for the very first time. And we rejoice as your brothers and sisters in Christ. Man, why don't you come up and um, after just a moment, we're going to quiet our hearts and thank the Lord for his blessing. I would, I would ask that you come up. They're going to they're give you a, a piece of bread and a cup. After you take that, I would ask that you go back to your seats when everyone has got it. Everyone's received it who desires and is a follower of Jesus. I'm going to bless it, and we're going to take it together as family.
thank you, my brothers, for serving us. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, you have called us at this time to live in, in this day and, and in this place. And it's easy for us to get swayed, angered, fall into the traps of a world that's just boiling around us. And so I thank you for moments like this that we can quiet our hearts. We can gather together and be reminded of who you are and what you've done so graciously in your grace. For us as we just do not deserve your love and your mercy and so we thank you I pray Lord that as we receive this bread and we drink the cup that we would remember afresh and anew like the first day that we acknowledged the need for you as our savior I pray Lord that you would ignite within us a fire to live as ones who are not in the world, ones who are not in the flesh, ones that have been called and chosen and adopted as your own children. We love you. We thank you, and we ask you to give us the strength to be faithful. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Paul is writing to the church at, at Corinth, and he gives instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ on the very night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this this is my body which is for you do this eat this in remembrance of me it says in the same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes and we look forward to when he comes now would you come and close